Do you want to go down to a 40-hour week without losing revenue? If you're ready to let go of all the extra hours, the stress, the overwhelm, and the clients who hijack your time, consider my signature program, Down to 40 Hours CPA Mastermind. In it, we'll get your accounting practice under control. We'll fix your pricing problems. I'll show you ways to price so you stop giving away the farm so you bring in more revenue for the work you're already doing. I'll help you disengage the clients who are good people but are holding your business back and slowing you down. I'll help you package up your services and design them so they're easy for your clients to understand and choose from while helping you simplify and standardize what you sell. And we'll focus on making your messaging more interesting and compelling so you attract more of the kinds of clients you want to work with and break out of the hodgepodge of referrals trap. We get your prices up, we get your workload down. We standardize, we simplify, we streamline. And we do this at a pace that feels doable, where you feel confident in every choice you make. Prices up, workload down. Registration is open now. We start Tuesday, May 7th. Come with us. Go to GeraldineCarter.com to find out more. Here's one category in this new 48C is what it's called, and it's this, this tax credit, where if you're re-equipping your manufacturing plant to help reduce greenhouse gases, you can get this credit for that. And so any manufacturer could potentially do that. Welcome to the Business Strategy for CPAs podcast, where I help you make more profit with less effort. My name is Geraldine Carter. There's a giant new bill that just came out that we're trying to get on top of and underneath to understand where the business opportunities are. Here today to talk with me about this is my guest, Randy Crabtree, co-founder and owner of TriMerit, a specialty tax firm supporting CPAs and their clients, and the host of the Unique CPA podcast. Randy, welcome back to the Business Strategy for CPAs podcast. Well, thank you. I appreciate you having me back. It was fun the first time, and I'm expecting fun the second time. We hope to not disappoint. (laughs) So, and anytime there's tax involved, we are sure to hit the bullseye. So let's dig right in. We're talking today about, let's set this up for listeners, where my head is and where your head is. You've been diving deep into this bill that's come out and trying to understand where the opportunities are and make sense of it all and everything. Where my head is, is where are the business opportunities for CPAs and how can they get ahead of this and identify where there are possible niches that they might want to burrow into so that they can become an expert in a certain segment of this tax code, attract clients who are in the niches that benefit from this bill in an effort to get a few steps ahead and take advantage of what's out there. So let's just start with a really high level. What are the, in the green room, you listed out five or six kind of sections. Can you do that for our listeners? Yeah. So, so if we look at these, and there's really two bills that, we're, that, that this ties into, it's the Inflation Reduction Act and then the CHIPS Act. And so between these two, probably the major winner from somebody who's looking to build out a niche is something to do with the construction industry. You know, so architects, engineers, generals, uh, mechanicals, some kind, somebody in the construction industry, those are clients that you're going to want to look at. Uh, in addition, there is a new rule regarding R&D, which probably tech startups are going to benefit. So if you're in an area where there's a lot of funding for tech startups, that might be a, a niche. Um, and then in addition, just manufacturing in general, 
probably is an area that you can look to build out a niche based on these new tax rules, tax laws. Okay, cool. So let's dig into those one by one. In the contractor space, architects, engineers, generals, what are the opportunities? What are the credits? What are the incentives that they can take advantage of? And like, how big does the firm need to be? Is it, are we talking small mom and pop local? Do they need to be regional to be a, a player to have it make enough to pencil out to make enough sense? There's actually three different, four different, I could probably go on, five, six different incentives <laughs> that are tied to this industry. I'm going to concentrate, let's say, on three of them right now. Maybe it's four. The main one, we'll touch on this briefly. So the CHIPS, CHIPS Act, that, that came out first. The CHIPS Act, and people have heard of this, is the whole Semiconductor Act, trying to keep manufacturing of semiconductors in the U.S., and I think the misnomer here a little bit is that uh, all these incentives out there are going to be hitting the big companies, you know, the Intels, the big semiconductor manufacturers, when in reality, you, when you're talking about level or size of firm or size of, of client you, you can deal with, there's going to be a lot of support companies that are working with Intel. And I can't name all the other you know chip manufacturers. And most of those chip manufacturers, actually, I don't even think manufacture. I think they design and then outsource the manufacturing as well. So those outsource manufacturers are going to be key. But anybody that's from a investment tax credit is what I'm going to talk about first. Anybody from that standpoint that is helping manufacture equipment potentially that's going to support the manufacturing of semiconductors can benefit from that. Anybody who is actually in construction that is building these facilities that support that house the manufacturing of the equipment that's going to support the semiconductors or the semiconductor manufacturing itself looks like an opportunity. And so those facilities from a construction stand, and I don't remember the question, were we talking construction first? Or? Yeah, I know, but you keep going. It's all tied together, it sounds like. Keep going. We're going to intertwine all of these and then we'll get really confused if we won't be able to figure out who is what. All right. Yeah. So the manufacturing is the plants, the facilities that are going to manufacture the equipment or manufacture the semiconductors. There's a credit out there for the manufacturing of those facilities or the construction of those facilities. Though That's key. There's also credit for manufacture developing the facilities that are going to manufacture advanced energy equipment. Now, this is the Inflation Reduction Act. So, so there's two different investment tax credits, one tied to semiconductor manufacturing, one tied to green and energy efficient manufacturing of equipment or recycling of equipment or you know renewable energies and so that's construction from the facility standpoint that can tie to that where we can get advanced uh, tax credit let me go on to the other two which are probably more applicable to most of our clients this is going to be applicable to a lot more clients than we thought about and i wonder how many people i just confused with that explanation hopefully not a lot um realize that the investment tax credits available are out there for potentially small manufacturers or designers of buildings as well as large companies. That's the key takeaway there. So let's dig in to the first part first, like the manuf the non-Intel, if you will, manufacturers and the perhaps the contractors that build the buildings, the warehouses, the whatever the equipment to support the manufacturing, those sound to me just in terms of helping our listeners say, is this me or is this not me? To When I hear that, I hear larger businesses 
with you know eight-figure businesses probably who are not likely to be going to their Main Street CPA. They probably are going to more like a regional firm for their accounting, tax, financial needs. Do you would you say that that's likely, or do you think I'm off base? I mean, it's it's not going to be your five hundred thousand dollar manufacturer that's going to benefit from this. But you, there's here here's one one category in this new forty eight C is what it's called, and it's this this tax credit where if you're re-equipping your manufacturing plant to help reduce greenhouse gases, so you just you know become you can get this credit for that. And so any manufacturer could potentially do that. Just make some changes, you know, zero carbon process heating systems or, or figuring out ways to capture carbon, you know, transportation, all these things that they potentially could do to just become more clean. And that's a key thing. Everybody wants to be more clean. And that's why these incentives are out there. So now this is a you know, $2 million manufacturer could very well re-equip their plant to do this. So this doesn't have to be the $3 billion company doing this. There's also an opportunity, I think, with this 48C, there's different categories within it, this investment tax credit, where I think new companies could pop up. I mean, because now what's, fine, what's happening is there's a credit out there if you are re-equipping, expanding, or establishing your industrial or manufacturing plant to recycle critical materials that are in, you know, let's say these batteries that we're going to be starting to use more. There's there's to a point right now where I think Tesla is maybe, I don't remember the number, maybe 90, maybe 98% of these batteries they're able to recycle. Um, but now it's not just them. These other companies are going to pop up to say, hey, I can figure out how to figure, you know, recycle these materials. And, and not only am I going to make money doing this, but I'm going to get a credit for putting together this facility that I'm going to use for this. So, so there's an opportunity for new businesses to pop up because of these incentives out there. That's great. That is exactly what I wanted to identify is the new businesses, the new niches, the new industries that are going to pop up, the new kinds of businesses that are going to pop up because of this, where people see the opportunity to have a great business, taking advantage, built on whatever's um, in these bills. What I wonder about, though, in that case is, is that a whole new industry or is it just like... Is it just a new like kind of company? Is it is it a niche that doesn't even exist yet, that doesn't have a name yet? Or is it just a different flavor of ice cream that already exists? I'm guessing there's companies right now that maybe are just your standard recycling company that's like, oh, we have an opportunity. We can get these materials. We already have processes in place of separating materials when it comes in. I don't know. I'm not an expert in that. But I see that there it could be a pivot of an existing company that says, or a new, we can add a new service onto what we're already doing uh, is what the potential is, I think. But I, again, I'm digging into more of the tech side rather than the, the business side that, that this could turn into, but I could see that an opportunity being there. Do you want to go start one with me? <laughs> no, I already have one and I have two children, so I don't need to start anything right now. <laughs> all right, all right. But thank you. Hit me up in 15 years. <laughs> all right, you got it. Let's keep going on the incentives around construction. Talk to me about what's going on there. Yep. And, and I, those two we just talked about, or those handful we just talked about, are, I think are going to be very pertinent. There's two existing benefits that got in, extremely enhanced uh, in the Inflation Reduction Act. And the first one is uh, 45L. 45L is the credit for the developers of energy-efficient residential property. This has been around a while. 
never permanent part of the tax code, always renewed every year or two. It is not permanent in this bill either. It's extended through the year 32. So it's as close as permanent as we've ever seen in the past. But it not only got extended, it got enhanced. And so the, the main client, so when you're, you're CPA listening to this and you want to think, who's my client I should be thinking about for 45L? Your client is the developer. It's the owner of that property while it's being constructed. Now, which means potentially an individual that hires somebody to construct a home could qualify. It's probably not worth their time to do this. And that's why developers are key. So if we're developing property that meets certain energy efficiency requirements, today's law is they get up to a $2,000 credit per unit tax credit reduction of income taxes, 2,000 per unit. So if they do 50 units that qualify during the year, there's $100,000 of tax savings there for them. That's the rule as it exists, and that rule stays in place through 2022. Starting next year in 23 was where the enhancements came in. Now, but it changed as well, the calculation. But now we can have anywhere from a $2,500 credit per unit up to a $5,000 credit per unit. So we could be two and a half times uh, what the credit was in the past. We have a new requirement of the old rules is I had to like look at this unit and look at 2006 energy standards and compare it. And if I was 50% more energy efficient, I get the $2,000. That's a simple version of it. Today's rules now starting in the year 2023, it's all based on energy star ratings. It's a little more stringent, but it's also got a little less stringent from how we qualify, uh, the percentage we need to show we're more energy efficient. But if we meet those requirements, the, on the low end, $2,500 per unit. On the high end, $5,000 per unit. So that same developer that in the year 2022, let's say, got $100,000 credit in the year 2023, could have a $250,000 credit just for those same units just by meeting the new requirements. So, so this one, big extension. We know this exists for at least the next 10 years, 11 years, and potentially significant more tax savings. So that was a very good one. And that's, I mean, again, if we're talking niches, that's a developer. That's construction. If we're already looking at construction for the investment tax credits, now we're looking at construction. And, and just as a side note, the investment tax credits are really for the entity that owns the property. But there's going to be a lot more incentives, out, a lot more construction happening out there because of these incentives. So the construction industry should have see a pickup from that. But here's one where the developer can get a credit. Yeah. So I'm just thinking about the developer who develops 50 units a year is a is a large size contractor. That's not a, like a one guy or a two man show. That's like a big contracting company. Right. I'm just trying to imagine the firm who has that as a client and what those numbers look like. I'm just trying to imagine 50 units yep. and constructing those, I don't know, at half a million dollars a pop, you're looking at what? 25 million, you know, that's a large developer. It's a large developer. In the past, when it was a $2,000 per unit credit, we really wanted to see at least 50 units constructed during the year, just because then it was worth the developer's time for us to look at it, and, and because not all of them were potentially qualifying. Now, the credit's two and a half times as much. Does that mean if we look at you know 20 units now, 
it's worth it? It probably is if we get the max at 5,000. So the positive about this is we can look at smaller developers during the year 2023 and get them a significant deduction and make it worth their time still. So from that standpoint, you know, if we're looking at 20 units, we're looking at a $10 million developer. That is still large, but it's not giant. And therefore, I think it's it's more in 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 line with my the clients we work with, the clients you probably work with that potentially are going to get more of a benefit going forward. Okay, so for people who are for CPAs who have niched into the construction industries, general contractors, stuff like that, they could start to imagine, I could start to imagine them having clients who are at these numbers. The other nice thing about the changes that are happening with 45L is, and again, when we're talking a smaller developer, don't know if this will come into or play or not, but the rules through 2022 that are the same as they were prior is this is a low rise property you know, so single family homes or it's apartments or condos that are three stories or less above ground. That's the rule that we live in through 2022. But starting in 2023, this, the size no longer matters. So a high rise, something four stories or above can still benefit from this. And that'll become interesting when we talk about 179D because there'll be an interplay there that I'll, I'll, I'll let you know about that, that that really became even more beneficial to anybody in the potentially construction arena. Okay, cool. So let's go over to 179D and talk about energy efficiency for commercial buildings. Same thing. So, so the 178D, again, we just talked residential. This one's commercial. Commercial Energy-efficient properties, a rules as, as it exists today, continue through the year 2022, just like the 45L. We're, we're under the same rules, and then they change in 23. But as it exists today, what we do is we look at a commercial building. If this commercial building is more energy-efficient than a hypothetical building was in the past, we can get up to a $1.80 a square foot deduction, basically taking 39-year depreciation and rating it off over one year. That's the rule that existed. Actually, this year, inflation adjustment, it, it's $1.88 a square foot. Under the new rules in the Inflation Reduction Act, starting next year in 2023, this can be up to $5 a square foot. Everything got enhanced. Yes, we're putting, we're putting incentives out there to may not make, but incentivize, incentivize? That sounds incentivize? Like in, <laughs> incentivize, that's in, good too. No, incentivize. Uh, I like... <laughs> I like Incentify. Why not? <laughs> okay. um, companies to be more energy efficient. This is a green energy bill. And so with this one now, going from that eighty, we have a you know 10,000 square foot building. Under today's rule, we get eighty a square foot. There's an $18,800 deduction. If we take that same 10,000 square foot building and put it in place in the year 2023, all of a sudden there's a 50,000 potential for a $50,000 deduction. So yeah, almost three times uh, starting next year. And so this one, this one, the users of this, and we didn't talk about that. This is important as again, as a tax preparer, you want to think who can I, who can, what of my client base can benefit from this? Or as you said, Geraldine, what niche should I be looking at potentially growing in my business? The users of this are maybe not as much niche on one aspect. The one aspect is commercial building owners. I mean, that could be anybody. But there is a niche that we talked about already is, is the construction niche. 
And if, if I'm designing, if I'm an architect, an engineer, general contractor, mechanical contractor that is designing a government building, I can get this deduction allocated to me. So now as an architect, all of a sudden, under that scenario we just said, I get a $50,000 deduction that I didn't have yesterday because it didn't exist until I, I until my tax preparer, your audience, brought it to them and said, hey, I think we can do this. And all of a sudden, there's a $50,000 deduction. And they save you know, $15,000, $20,000 in taxes because of this phantom deduction. They're pretty happy clients in that scenario. And then you go out and do your value, value billing, and then you're, uh, then you're good. Wait. Are you a value billing? Uh, 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 I can't remember. How, what's your billing? <laughs> well, first of all, no value billing. That the, <laughs> That's what does, I thought. Does not exist, right? I, I knew I screwed <laughs> up <is> there. Like, <laughs> it's out, you know, it's out there with the Easter Bunny. That's right. But even value pricing, I'm, I'm much more menu. Okay, there you go. Right, bronze, silver, gold, flat rate. That's right. Okay, so the architects, you know, so the building, the, there's the government building. It gets built. It gets designed by the architect. It gets built by the contractor, and then there's the commercial property piece. Like, can everybody double or triple? dip here like does everybody get the fifty thousand dollars credit if fifty thousand dollar credit if they have a hand in the construction of the building how's that work oh that's a great question so as a designer of this property and before i answer that let me just say starting in the year 2023 it's not only government buildings that can allocate this it's tax-exempt entities nonprofits can uh, you know so if let's say alzheimer's association is building a new building they can allocate this deduction to uh the designer. So that and uh, tribal governments got added as well. And so there's a lot more entities now I'm designing that that me as the architect that we're talking about could get this allocated to myself or my company. The allocation though, the, to go to your question, the allocation cannot exceed the $5 per square foot. It can be split between different designers. So let's say the architect designed 60% of this energy efficiency in the property and and the engineering firm designed 40% of the energy efficiency, they can split that $3 to the architect per foot, $2 to the uh, engineering company per foot, and each take a portion of that deduction. You just can't double dip and exceed that $5 per square foot on the building overall. Okay, how's that going to work? <laughs> the architect's going to be like, no way, man. I did at least 75 if not 95% of that. There's you guys only did 5%. You phoned it in. How, how are they going to... Divvy up the allocation. The allocation itself ends up lying in the hands of the owner of the property. So the nonprofit or the government entity, they sign off on this letter. So they pretty much have final say, but they're not going to know these percentages. So what's going to have to happen is the architect and the engineer in the scenario we're talking about are going to have to just come to an agreement at, at some level. Could be interesting. But a lot of times that engineering firm is working for the architect firm and that's where their business comes from. And so they want to make sure they got that good business relationship continuing as well and getting more engineering work. So I think that kind of uh, makes it a little easier, but they just have to go look at this and say, okay, we're, we're 70 or 30, we're 60 or 40, I'm 40, you're 60, whatever. Go with their allocation letters to some representative of that entity that can allocate the deduction, sign those letters on those percentages. I know it sounds a little bit of a, you know, like yeah. uh, uh, throwing a dart. What could go wrong? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> but uh, usually when we do these for, for our, our clients, it's usually one taxpayer that's getting the entire allocation, usually the architect. Good to know. 
So let's see, did we give um, adequate attention to 179D? I think so. It got enhanced $5 per square foot up to, it got enhanced, new entities can allocate, all starting in 2023. The one thing I didn't touch on was this is a permanent part of the tax code. So this, this, this was extended in the year 2020 permanently. And so it's not uh, doesn't have a shelf life that we have to be concerned about. It, it'll continue on and well until, you know, the next Congress decides to come up with their own tax laws and, and change it. But right now it's permanent. Cool. OK, great. So let's see. How about R&D? Want to go over there? All right. The, the, the other thing that we talked about at the beginning is, is there's an incentive for companies that maybe deal with tech startups. And what I mean by that is there it's really any startup that is doing research and development, but usually it's highly funded tech startups. There's a rule that came out in 2000, defined in 2015 in the PATH Act, which came into play in 2016, that said that startup companies can take the R&D tax credit and at least a portion of it and offset payroll taxes. And that portion defined in the PATH Act was up to 250,000. So if they're not a profitable company, so they're not paying income taxes. Rather than this credit just sitting out there and being carried forward, you're starting to break out in hives now, aren't you? Talking tax. <laughs> yeah, can you see me holding onto my desk? I feel dizzy. <laughs> I know tax is your favorite thing. So this this entity, rather than this credit just hanging out there until they're profitable and use it at sometime in the future, this new law in 2016 said I can offset payroll taxes with this if I meet certain requirements. The requirements at that time were I had to be less than $5 million in gross receipts in the tax year that I'm looking at, and I couldn't have any gross receipts further back than the last five tax years. If I meet those requirements, I could I could elect up to $250,000 of R&D tax credit and offset payroll taxes. That was the rule that we've lived under since 2016. The Inflation Reduction Act changed that Oh, let me back up one second. And also, I could only offset employer portion of Social Security taxes. That's the election I could make under the old rules. Under the Inflation Reduction Act, I can now elect up to a $500,000 allocation or, or, or carry to my payroll tax return. So I can, I can offset up to $500,000, not $250,000 anymore, up to $500,000 of payroll taxes. And not only can I offset employer portion of Social Security taxes under these new rule, I can offset employer portion of Medicare tax. So there's more of the tax I can offset, more of the potential credit I can take to payroll taxes. Same rules, less than $5 million of revenue, no gross receipts further back than the last five years. The reason I say this is a probably a, a, a good niche would be tech startups. It's because they're usually highly funded. They're usually running at a loss. They're usually can generate a very significant credit in the early years just because they have all this money invested in them. And so even, even if they're not profitable, now they can take advantage of, and get more money back into the business by using this credit to offset payroll taxes. So that's another nice niche, depending on the area you're in. But boy, there's tech hubs just about everywhere now. Um, let's back into the math. How big of a company is that if you've got, you know, whatever, $500,000 in payroll, Medicare, whatever, whatever? How big are we talking here so that CPAs can identify the size of business they might be eyeing? 
to generate a $500,000 credit, you probably have to have at least $5 million in payroll. Okay. Because the credit, especially for a tech startup, payroll is usually the only expense that's going to be used in the calculation of the credit. In the R&D credit, a good, a good estimate's 10% of the expenses. In reality, in this tech startup phase, it's probably 6%. So, you know, a $5 million in wages probably would generate about a $300,000 credit. But that exceeds the old rules. Um, and But again, if, it, if you generate a $10,000 credit, you can still elect to offset payroll taxes with that $10,000. doesn't matter the size. We're just capped at $500,000 that we can take to the payroll tax return now. Okay. But you're looking at a um, $500,000 in payroll is you're looking at at least a $5 million tech startup, which I think is on the small side. So $500,000 in payroll. Let's let's go back to my 6% of the expenses become the credit scenario. I want to be more conservative, and it's probably a better estimate when we're talking startups. So if you had $500,000 in payroll, you're probably going to generate a $30,000 credit, 6% of that payroll. We're assuming all the payroll was for employees that are you know programming. Doing which typically for a tech startup, that is what's happening. Pretty much everybody is programming, and and so in that scenario, that'd be about a thirty thousand dollar credit. Which means that for five hundred thousand dollars in payroll, you know they probably. I mean, that can be five people. You know, that could be four people. That could be. So it's not a huge business because these these these. In fact, you know these these uh, programmers that are working with tech startups are uh, usually fairly uh, highly paid. And so I would think a very small tech startup can still take advantage of a, a nice credit. A $30,000 credit for that startup is nice money going back in. Okay. So it sounds like we've touched on the major pieces of the bill here. It also sounds like you did research to figure out where the companies are, who the companies are that can take advantage of what's available here. So can you share with us what you found? Yeah, and I'll give Randy Burge credit. So Randy, uh, another Randy in our company, did this research. And Randy uh, actually uh, founded the New Mexico Tech Council. So he's been dealing with tech businesses for a long time. And what he found is that when we're looking at those investment tax credits we talked at the top of the episode today, and I mentioned that it's not just your intolls that are going to be take, be able to take advantage of this. He did some research just looking at Dun & Bradstreet and finding out businesses that look like they probably are good candidates for this. And he looked at businesses $5 million and up. And so not giant. I mean, $5 million business, you know, we all deal with the $5 million business probably at some level. He found that there was at least 38 states where it looked like there was going to be businesses that qualified. And I think he looked from... Not even billion. He looked from five million up to five hundred million, which is obviously big. Um, but starting at the low end of, of five million, and there was there was oh, I wish I remembered the number, but let's say a thousand businesses in thirty-eight states that look like are going to be able to take advantage of these credits that are not the multi-billion-dollar businesses. So, like I said, it's it's a more widespread than it looks like on the surface. So the message there for CPAs is don't overlook this. Make sure that you dig inside and see what's available for your clients because perhaps it's more than meets the eye. Correct. Love it. Randy Crabtree 
it is always so great to have you. Thank you for coming on the Business Strategy for CPAs podcast. Well, thank you for having me. And one plug before we wrap up, uh, we had you uh, present on one of our monthly webinars uh, last month. I think it was in August, which is now on YouTube. So if anybody wants to go watch your episode, you can go to the Trimerit uh, YouTube channel and see Geraldine talk about the things she's an expert at. Pricing for improved profitability. And who doesn't want improved profitability? So we'll link to that in the show notes so that people can go check that out. Is it available for credits, for learning credits, CPEs? Not on YouTube. It was when we did it live. Um, We actually are looking at turning those into CPE credits. Uh, We'd have to just have some questions answered after you view it. uh, And we haven't put that in place yet. But that could be coming. So that would... Keep an eye out for that. Yeah, so keep an eye out if you want to get an hour for it. Awesome. Randy, so great to have you. Thank you. I love the idea of being ahead of the curve and ready when new businesses pop up and new previously non-existent niches get created. If you want to find out more about Randy, check out his website at trimerit.com and be sure to check out Randy's podcast, The Unique CPA. If you want to narrow down the kinds of businesses you serve so that you can pick who you want to work with, be sure to subscribe to my newsletter where I talk about the process of niching down, what it's like, and how to do it well to set yourself up for success. You can subscribe at GeraldineCarter.com. That's it from me. Have a great week. Hi again. Would you rather spend your weekends outside playing or at your desk? In Down to 40 Hours CPA Mastermind, we put an end to overworking while maintaining revenue. Registration is open now, but it won't be for long. Go to GeraldineCarter.com now to enroll today.